think that confirmed which way I need to go. So I'm thankful for our singers following the Holy Ghost and uh, our musicians. And I think I know what God wants to do this morning. Amen. Is anybody happy to be in the house of God? Hallelujah. So am I. I'm always thankful and blessed when given the opportunity to preach to this church, this great people. I love every one of you. I love my pastor, my bishop, and all of our ministry. And uh, it's always an honor to preach to this church. If you will turn with me, please, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. there say amen I am just going to follow the Holy Ghost this morning and what he has given me amen first John chapter 2 just reading two verses of scripture here it's verse number one says my little children these things write I unto you that ye sin not and if any man sin we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. This morning I'd like to speak to you for a little bit on the subject of when you don't know what to do. When you don't know what to do. It's kind of a, a question here that at some point I am going to try and answer. Is obviously there's we get into a position when there when we don't know what to do. And I want to give an answer to that this morning. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we ask you right now, God, to move in this place, to speak to our hearts and to our minds, to to open our hearts and our minds up to you to receive your word today. We want you to speak, God. We want you to reach somebody that is hurting. Reach somebody, God, that is in a position of they don't know what to do. God, we want you to speak in a mighty way as we give you praise, honor, and glory and lift you up. One last time, let's give him another hand clap of praise. Amen, amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. When you don't know what to do. I started with these verses because I want to make it very clear this morning that I in no way am justifying sin. In no way am I lifting sin. And John put it very clearly here, starting with the first verse. He let us know where we stand, where we stand as a church, and we stand as a people, and we stand as a ministry, that he said in the first verse that you sin not. I write unto you that you sin not. He was very straightforward in this, letting us know that the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is to not sin. This is where we want to be. This is where we want to get to. This is what we are striving for, is to get to a place where we don't sin. Sin is not a good thing. It's not a pretty thing, and it can lead to so many other things 
and other distractions and other sins. And so the goal is to not sin. So in no way do I want to justify that. But John understood who he was preaching to. John knew who he was writing to. He was not writing to a group of perfect people. He was not writing to people who had it all together, who have overcome everything. But he was writing to people that he understood are still going to make mistakes. He was writing to people who still have carnality, who still have flesh, and who still have uh, struggles. People that will still have lust of this flesh and drawn away of their own lust. So, with his opening statement, he said, I wish that you sin not. I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to fail. But if you do, and when you do, we have an advocate with the Father. Hallelujah. Praise God. John was letting us know, I don't want you to sin. But if it happens, because you are still carnal, you still have a flesh that sometimes gets unruly, sometimes it gets out of control. And when you fall, I want you to know that you don't have to stay in that sin. But there is a God that loves you. Hallelujah. You have an advocate. And his name is Jesus. And he died for your sins. But not just for yours, but for the entire world. The entire world, he died for our sins. Praise God. Again, John was not justifying sin. He was not trying to make sin look good. He was not trying to make it look pretty. But at the same time, John was trying to speak to somebody so that somebody didn't beat them up th themselves up so much when they do fall. Somebody that didn't just throw in the towel when they made another mistake. Or when they sinned, that they didn't just walk away and say, well, it looks like I'm never going to overcome this flesh. I might as well just give up. But John was saying, no, if you make a mistake, you still have an advocate with the Father. There's somebody there that's going to be in your corner. Hallelujah. I'm glad that Jesus is in my corner. When I make a mistake, when I fall, I know that I have a God that's there picking me up, helping me to go on, to go forward. Hallelujah. And when the enemy of your soul comes knocking on your door and letting you know that you are a failure and calling for death in your life and telling you that this is all you're going to be, this is all you will become, you are nothing but a sinner and a failure. Jesus is in your corner. You have the ultimate attorney standing beside you saying, no, that's not the case. That's not why I died. I died so that you can have life and that more abundantly. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that I have the greatest attorney in the world on my side. I don't have to listen to the lies of the devil. I don't have to listen to the lies of the enemy telling me that I'm just going to be a failure the rest of my life. But I have an advocate with the Father. 
It said that he is the perpetuation for our sins. Which means he is the atonement for our sins. He made a way in the midst of our failures, in the midst of, of, of our worst sin, in the midst of all that is negative, God died so that you and I could be saved. Praise God. Praise God. That's what it said in verse 2. It says, and he is the perpetuation. He is the atonement for our sins. He died so that you and I can live again. We don't have to live in that sin. Hallelujah. But he pleads our case for us when we do sin. Again, to be clear, I am not justifying sin. I am not okaying anybody to leave here and to fail. In fact, James chapter 1 and verse number 14 makes it very clear what sin is. James said, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This is what sin does. So, no, I am not justifying it. No, I am not putting sin on a pedestal. But he said in the verse 14, but every man is tempted. We're all going to be tempted. We're all going to be uh, drawn away of our own lusts at one time or another. But the difference is, is when we fall and when we make that mistake, where are you going to land? Are you going to live in your sin and stay down and stay beaten? Or are you going to get back up and keep walking and keep living for God and let God be that atonement for you? Hallelujah. I want him to be the atonement for my sin. I don't want to stay down. I don't want to be one who puts limits on God's mercy and puts limits on God's grace. And oftentimes we, as human beings, do this. We think that, that oh, God can't forgive me. God can't forgive that sin. We try to categorize sin. Well, my, the, this is why we call it a little white lie. What well, was just a little white lie? We categorize sin. This is our human nature. This is our flesh. We say, well, that, uh, that was just a white lie, so that's not so bad. But I'm not as bad as this guy over here that's committing murder. I'm not as bad as this guy over here who's cheating the system. I'm not as bad as this guy over here who, who commits adultery. I'm not as bad as this person over here that does this. And we begin to categorize sin and say, oh, God can forgive me of my white lie. But can he forgive that person of their sin? Yes, he can. Because Jesus doesn't categorize sin. In his eyes, sin is sin. Failure is failure. He wants to wash it all away. He doesn't categorize it, but so often we put limits on God's mercy. We try to handcuff his mercy and say, oh, his mercy can't, can't cover that. And we look down at people if we know their sin. And we look down at people if we know their failures. And we try to judge them 
based on, well, at least I didn't do what they did. Try to handcuff God's mercy. Well, I didn't go where they went. I didn't fail like they failed. I'm not living like they're living. But that's not what God called us to. Hallelujah. He didn't, he didn't make you the judge of sin. If you look at the Bible and you begin to read, he lists different sins. But he never said this one's worse than this one. He never categorized it. Because he wanted everybody to know that his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. You can't handcuff God's mercy. You can't tell God what he can forgive and what he can't. You may not like this this morning, but I'm telling you, I'm preaching right now. I am preaching this morning because somebody needs to know that God's mercy endures forever. God's mercy is for you. It's for me. I am not above sin. I am not above failure. But I know when I come to an altar, I can repent and his blood will wash me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But we do. We often categorize sin. We often like to rank it. But God never did that. He did categorize something. In Matthew chapter 22, he was approached by the Pharisees, and they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22 and verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees in silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is the only time you find Jesus categorizing something. And he said, Unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He didn't go any further after that. He didn't go into the rest of the commandments and say, well, murder is the worst and, and uh, lying is the least. And, and this one over here is right in the middle. But no, he only gave you two commandments. That is the first, the greatest. And that is that we need to love God with everything that is within us. That is the greatest commandment of all. Despite our failures, despite what we're going through, we're supposed to love God. Hallelujah. No matter what this world throws at us, we're supposed to love God. Hallelujah. And the second is just as important. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love thy neighbor as thyself. He didn't say to only love your neighbor when he's perfect. Only love your neighbor when he's living the life that you think he should be living. Love your neighbor only when he has it all together. 
Hallelujah. But the commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. Understand that there may be a day when you're down and out like your neighbor is and you're going to want somebody to love you. Hallelujah. You're going to want somebody to be on your side. You're going to want somebody to be there when you're down and out. Hallelujah. So when we're down and when our neighbor's down and out, we need to love them anyways. Praise God. And that's what I'm preaching this morning. This is the answer to my question. When we don't know what to do, what do we do? You love anyways. That was the commandment. That what was, that's what was given to us. Love your neighbor anyways. Love your neighbor when he falls. Love your neighbor when he gets back up. Love him no matter what he's facing, no matter what he's going through. Love your neighbor. Hallelujah. It doesn't say only love them when they sin like you sin. Just because somebody's sin comes out and somebody's sin is out there for everybody and everybody knows that somebody's, what somebody's failure is. The only difference between you and that person is that they know their sin and they don't know yours. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so if you knew my sins and you knew my failures, Brother Brock, are you still going to love me? Are you still going to love me in my worst? Are you still going to love me when I'm not doing what you think I'm supposed to be doing? Because when I'm at that point, that's when I need you to love me the most. That's when I need you there for me. Hallelujah. This is what God called the church to do. Romans chapter 5, verse number 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some will even dare to die. But God commandeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not die when you became perfect. He died before you became perfect so that you could be a child of God. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Hallelujah. In the midst of our worst, that is when he died for us. And this is what being Christ-like is all about. When we as the church stand and try to call ourselves Christians, but when somebody sins and fails and we can't stand behind, beside them and lift them up and restore them, are we being Christ-like? Are we being what God called us to be? When somebody fails, somebody makes a mistake, are we taking that sin and running it 
across the world, gossiping about it and telling everybody we know about it and running them into the ground and destroying them and beating them down as opposed to lifting them up and loving them in their worst hour. Because that's what Jesus did for Peter. You know, Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew. He already knew. He told him, you're going to deny me three times. And it never changed how Jesus loved Peter. It never changed. He still gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. Hallelujah. He still told Peter, upon this rock, you will build my church. Hallelujah. He still loved Peter knowing his failure. Praise God. I am preaching this today because so often, and we have a great church. I love this church. I love this church with all my heart. But so often, we are so sensitive to new converts. If it was somebody coming off the street this morning that we didn't know, we would all be here for them. We would surround them. And we would pray for them. We will give them Bible studies and we will reach for them with all of our heart and with everything that is within us. Because that's what we're called to do. Seeking to save that which was lost. And although we're so sensitive to the new convert, what about the... What about your neighbor that's sitting on the pew that's hurting what about the person next to you that is going through hell? But instead, all we want to do is beat them down. All we want to do is ignore them. All we want to do is, is talk about them. Instead of lifting them up, instead of loving them, instead of wrapping our arms around them and letting them know the church is here for you. The church is going to stand by your side as long as you keep living for God. We are here. The church has to be here. The church has to be here. Praise God. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. This is why we have to be there for one another. Instead of beating each other up and taking each other to task when somebody falls and makes a mistake and fails, but instead we are to lift one another up, restore one another, love one another. When you don't know what else to do, I don't know what to do in this situation. Love them anyways. Restore them anyways. Be there for them anyways. Anyways. 
Hallelujah. When they come knocking on your door, don't turn them away. I don't want to be associated with you. But no, I'm here to love you. I'm here to be here for you. I'm going to care for you no matter what, no matter where you're at. I may not agree with what you're doing. I may not agree with where you're living right now. But I'm going to be here because it's my goal to restore you to where God wants you to be. So we don't just cut them off. So we don't just turn them away. No, that's not scriptural. Nowhere will you find that in the word of God. Nowhere will you find where Jesus just turned somebody away and said, no, you're too filthy. That's why that song's so beautiful. There's nothing too dirty. There's nothing too dirty. There's nothing too filthy. I'm thankful because if there was, I'd probably have done it. I wouldn't be here today, but I have a God that died for my sins that I could stand here before you. But again, the hardest thing for us to do at times is to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. To put ourselves in that place, to say, what if that was me? How would I want to be treated? What if that was, what if my failure came out? Because it's not a, a matter of when, if I sin, it's a matter of when. It's a matter of who knows. And so what if my sin came out? And you knew, how, how would I, I feel if you treated me the way I treated others? If I just beat them down and beat them over the head and, and handcuff mercy and say, well, mercy can't forgive that. No, I want mercy to flow to all. I want everybody to find repentance. I want everybody to be able to, to find God and to lift their hands and to worship him no matter what. Because that's what God called us to. We find the story of the prodigal son. Here, God gives us a great example of what to do when somebody fails. Now, we see this as a story of a young man who, what we would call backsliding. He left father's house. He got all of his money. Everything that was due to his name. Dad, give me everything. Give me all. All that, that's due to me. And the prodigal son leaves. And he goes and he spends it all. He spends it all. He parties. He has a great time doing his thing. Sinning. Living the craziest life he could possibly imagine. Wasted all of his money. And at the end, when he's in the pig pen, eating nothing but slop, living the life of pigs, he realizes at this point it was better in daddy's house. It was better when I was at the house of God. It was better when I was there. And so he picks up and he comes back to the house. And when his dad sees him, he runs to him. He calls a party. They kill the fatted calf, and, and they throw this big shindig because the son has come home. He's here. Yes, he failed. 
Yes, he went and did some wild things. Yes, he made a lot of mistakes and all that. But he's home. He's back where he belongs. Hallelujah. This is where he belongs. Right here in daddy's house. And so dad was happy to see him. Dad was, was ecstatic. The servants seemed to be ecstatic. They threw a party, but there was one that wasn't so excited. There was one that had a big problem with what was happening. That was his brother. His brother wasn't so excited to see him return home. Wait a second. Do you know what he did, Dad? You know his failures? He took all his money and spent it, blew it. But not me, Dad. I stayed right here. I didn't fail. I didn't leave. I stayed in the house of God. Why are we throwing him a party? We should be throwing me a party because I stayed in the house of God. When do we get rewarded for doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live for God. We're supposed to love God with all of our heart. But if somebody doesn't, it is our goal to restore them back to that place. What if the prodigal son didn't leave completely, but he was in that sin? We're still supposed to love him the same way. The brother did not get this concept. And so often we don't either. That we're supposed to love our brother despite his failures, love him no matter what, care for him no matter what, be there for him no matter what. Hallelujah. And the father recognized that. The father put the ring on him. Let him know that we love you, son. This is where you belong. You know what? When he came back, to the house, he probably didn't have it all together. He probably wasn't perfect, but he was back. And that is what matters. We want him in the house of God, church. We don't want him out there because out there it's nothing but worse. We don't want him going out there because it's nothing. It's going to lead to more sin, more failures. We want them here. And the only way we're going to keep them here is by loving them when we don't know what to do. Loving them anyways. As the musicians come, praise God. I want to give one last story. Again, another beautiful story in the Bible. That God gives us another example of what to do. When somebody in the church begins to go astray, when somebody fails. And it's found in Luke chapter 15, verse 3, it says, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? And go after that one lost sheep until he find it. Hallelujah. 
Verse 5, it says, And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over the one sinner that repenteth more than the ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Such a beautiful story that the shepherd has all these sheep. He's trying to take care of all of them. He's got a lot of sheep here. It's hard to, to keep track. But those sheep aren't perfect. Those sheep have things that they like. Those sheep can wander off. And so what happens when the one wanders? One of them gets a little too far. Do we just let him go? Well, he got out of the fold. I got 99 more to watch here. I got, there's, there's 99 more that... that these are more, I'm more concerned about the 99 that are here than that one. That one's just going to have to live with the consequences of sin. That one's just going to have to live with the consequences of going astray. He's just going to have to learn to live with his failure. And learn to live out there in the wilderness. And learn to live out there in this world. Because I got 99 right here. But that's not what the scripture said said he left the 99 and went after the one. Realizing that that one matters. That one soul. That one broken heart. That one sinner. Hallelujah. He still matters, church. She still matters, church. They still matter, it doesn't matter their failure. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they're going. But it's us, our responsibility as the church to restore that one. I'm searching for you. Where are you at? I'm willing to go to the altar with you. I'm willing to pray with you. I'm willing to be here for you in the midst of it all. No, I don't agree with what you've done, but I love you anyhow. Restoring the one. Because it doesn't say, and we often think of this verse, I think when we see somebody, a new convert come and repent, and we see that verse that says, likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the 99 just persons. And we often Think of that as a new convert. But it's the same if it's somebody that's in the church that's struggling. It's the same as if it's somebody in the church living for God. I don't want to wait, Brother Brock, till you're backslid. I don't want to wait till you're out there and you're destroyed. I want you saved now. I want to be here for you when you're still in the church. You're still living for God. I don't want to wait till it's too late. 
Hallelujah. As we stand. Likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the 99 just persons which need no repentance. There's hurting people right here in the church, saints. There's people right here that need us. I'm not saying that we don't continue to, to knock doors. I'm not saying that we don't continue to give Bible studies. We don't continue to reach the lost. We have to keep doing that. We want everybody to be saved, but we also have to make sure that our neighbor, the person sitting right next to you, is where they need to be also. Let us not go, so get concerned by numbers that we forget our neighbor that's sitting right next to us that needs our love. When you don't know what to do, love anyways as they sing. Your love lifted